It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast, your post-game episode following the Nebraska heart attack that, that that game was. But we're here. We're presented by the Pigskin Podcast Network. I am here. Scott is here. We're a little bit late this week. We apologize. Uh, just couldn't figure out scheduling on Sunday. Uh, as I've mentioned before, I'm visiting my family over the course of this week or two here. So... Uh, My audio is not great, and I have a ton of plans that I'm trying to juggle around. So uh, we are getting the podcast out still on Monday, technically, but uh, not by much. So we do apologize for that. Anyway, Scott, it's Monday after work. It's actually halftime of the Monday night football game, if everybody wants like an actual timestamp on recording. Uh, How are we doing today? Well, we're 4-0. We're first in the Big Ten East, I think alone. Uh, at least until somebody else plays their second conference game. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, can't complain. It was a heart attack. I was watching in the woods. I kind of um, betrayed my backpacking purist mentality and decided to watch the football game while I was, was out there. Um, but, thankfully, it was not for nothing. We came out with the victory. And, uh, yeah, we have a lot to go over. I mean, it was not uh, not the prettiest win. It was a gutsy win if you will um it was a typical nebraska loss although we don't see a whole lot of those against michigan state these days um yeah just excited to uh, to keep the train rolling another interesting matchup coming up this week which we'll obviously get into later in the week but for now like i said four and oh first place i think we're up to like 17 in the ap poll uh the tuck train's rolling yeah, and this is the perfect coach game, right? You squeeze out the win, so you get a win, but you have plenty to coach up the following week. There's been a, a little bit too much good stuff going around. I think we needed a little bit of, of coaching tape out there. But, yeah, I was at the game, as we mentioned in the pregame. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, I finally got the chance today to sit down and re-watch it because I was – somewhat heavily intoxicated throughout the game, but it, it was a absolute, the, the environment there was awesome. It, it was electric. It was one of the better home field games that I've been to in some time. I, I got to say the stadium was packed. The stripe, the stadium worked out. There were not too many Nebraska fans there as coach Tucker uh, was probably happy about that. You saw some spotted red here and there. We had a couple Nebraska fans actually sitting right in front of us 
pretty good dudes uh, by all measures. They, they were having some fun throughout the game. But it, it's something where, you know, I was at the game. I rewatched the game. And I've looked at the stats. And I still have no idea how we won this game. Uh, we'll get to all of that. But it, it was an awesome weekend being back in East Lansing. You can probably hear my voice is still a little bit shot. We were tailgating for about six hours before the game. We went to the tin can after the game. Had a, a good old time back in East Lansing for the first time in, in quite a long time, a couple of years for me. And, man, Grand River does not look the same. Campus looks mostly the same, so I'm happy about that. But, no, good to be back. Good to get a win. Good to get a, a very exciting win. Uh, it's always one of those games where you hope that when you finally get to go and be there in person, that it's an exciting one. It was a little bit too exciting at times, but it, it was an awesome game, awesome environment for everybody listening that was at the game. You know what I'm talking about. It was, it was electric the whole four quarters and overtime. I'll say that. Yeah, it was exciting. Um, especially the end. I wouldn't say the whole game was exciting. It was one of those like, it never felt out of hand, but it was one of those games where you were just waiting and waiting and waiting for something to kind of happen. And we got that spark late on that punt return touchdown when we needed it. Um, but this one, I mean, it had all the markers of a, a frustrating, ugly loss that we've seen in the past few years. I mean, Nebraska had more than twice as many first downs. They had almost twice as much time of possession. Uh, we didn't even break 100 yards rushing. They out past us I mean every metric other than turnovers we won that battle two to one uh, but other than that every metric we were we were beat um, on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball but coaches call football a three-phase game and special teams I think in this game specifically more than any I can really remember I mean I'm not thinking through every football game I've ever watched but anything that comes to mind this one felt like um, special teams made the biggest impact of any game I can remember on both sides, not just one team or the other, but um, our special teams just played phenomenally and Nebraska's threw us a few bones. And, uh, and I think honestly, that was the difference. I mean, we'll get into kind of the different aspects of the game, but I thought special teams really was the difference um, in the game. And, and that's not just because we had a punt return touchdown and not just because we have, uh, due to the howitzer attached at the hip. Um, but, I mean, all over the field, special teams was was making a huge difference. And it was nice to see that. Coaches love to preach that. And it was nice to see it finally make such a visible impact. Yeah, Scott Frost is ready to revoke every punter scholarship on his team. But uh, we'll get to all that. Before we do, week four of the college football season is in the books. Week three of the NFL season. Also in the books, as you're listening to this, we got Monday Night Football still chugging along here as we're recording, but it is time to get ready for week four of the NFL, for week five of college football at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. $150 from $1. Sounds like a good one to me. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week one game. Uh, I guess week, not week one game anymore. Week five game, week four game, whatever it is. To receive $150 in free bets instantly, 
If the sports book is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. Promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. With that, let's get to some of this recap stuff. I want to start with the offense, Scott, because... It felt like in the first half we were moving the ball. Uh, there, there was, you know, some stall, some drives that stalled out in the red zone. I was looking at this, like rewatching it. In the second quarter, we really had an opportunity to blow this game wide open. We had the touchdown off of another flea flicker, which I guess I, I don't know. Maybe it's time to retire the fr- the flea flicker. I feel like in a given season, you, you're never going to have that play work more than one time. And the fact that we've had it work two times means we're just asking for disaster the next time we call it. Uh, But we had that. And then the second drive of the quarter, we had the long kick return touchdown by Reed. That set up a big play for Trey Mosley. And then it stalled out in the red zone. And then the next play, uh, the next drive, we stalled out in the red zone for a field goal. And it felt like we had a chance to blow the game open. But at the same time, we were moving the ball pretty effectively in the second quarter. We were getting down into the scoring area, getting points on the board. And the first quarter, I don't know, we just just struggled to, to really get a rhythm. There was a bad interception by Peyton Thorne. And then the second half was just a disaster on offense. So I guess what worked in the second quarter, what didn't work the rest of the game, where do we go now with this Michigan State offense after scoring, what, 38 points a game the first three weeks? barely managing to get 20 on the board and that's counting special teams points. Uh, I don't know, man, is Nebraska's defense that good or is there some, some reason to worry here for the rest of the year? Yeah, I don't, you know, I've, I've gone back and watched uh, most of this game and it's really hard to pin this slowdown from the, I guess the second quarter to the second half on any one thing. The running game never really got started there were a couple good runs. Simmons had a couple flashes and uh, Kenneth Walker. I mean, he racked up 60 by the end of the game. He probably mostly on two or three runs uh, all told. Um, But I think the passing game was working a little bit better in the first half. Um, And we really, I don't know. I mean, it was frustrating, you know, after the Miami game, we were complimenting Jay Johnson quite a bit on the adjustments that he made in that game. Um, to counter the blitz and to get the ball out into space behind that blitz. And we tried, you could see they tried the same things against Nebraska when they were getting penetration. We tried the screen passes, you know, we tried stuff like that and it didn't work the same because Nebraska contrary to Miami was getting a big push with their front four. They weren't, they didn't have to rely on the blitz. They were getting sacks with that black shirt front uh, four. And, and it was, it was frustrating them. I think, this game we saw Peyton Thorne probably get rattled for the first time this season, especially in the second half. Um, 
you could see there were multiple throws. He missed Naylor two or three times when he was wide open on crossers. And, um, you know, the first instinct was to say, you know, why isn't the play calling working? We're not getting any yards. It feels like every time we run the ball, it's not working. Every time we throw the ball, it's incomplete. But you could see the sharpness wasn't there for Peyton Thorne. And I don't know if it was an off night or if it was the pressure or if it was something else. I know we took a couple big hits. Um, maybe that got in his head a little bit or he was nursing something that we couldn't really see. But um, all told, the passing game and the running game just never really found a groove. We couldn't find a rhythm on either one. Um, and I think Nebraska kind of keyed in on an area of their defensive playbook that was really effective against, uh, against us, and they stuck with it throughout the game, and, and we were really having a hard time unlocking it. So, yeah, I don't think there was – they didn't really neutralize one thing. I think they were just very disciplined, prevented big plays, and, uh, and, and controlled the line of scrimmage. Yeah, their front seven, man, they were flying around. It seemed like every time, you know, Kenneth Walker would try to make one of those vintage runs where he makes a guy miss, and and every for every guy that there was, there were two more right in his face. I mean, they were rallying to the ball. Their linebackers were making plays sideline to sideline. They were getting into the backfield. And it just really disrupted everything. And like you said, they were able to do it really without – much at risk in the defensive backfield because they didn't have to blitz. So they, they weren't risking extra guys in coverage to come up and make plays at the line of scrimmage. They, they were playing their base defense and it just was really effective. And I mean, you look at some of these numbers, man, and this is where it's funny. Like the, the new age, like college football media, analytics uh i think some of it skews a little bit too far to the analytic world where well this isn't a good team because look at their yards per play or something and it's okay i get some of that to a certain extent but football is still a game that's played in three phases with a lot of emotion with a lot of physicality and sometimes stats just go out the window and when you look at they had 84 total plays on offense to our 53, and they had more yards per play than us. So they ran 30 more plays. They had about an extra half a yard per play. They outgained us 440 to 254. The time of possession, they had the ball for 15 extra minutes. I mean, you brought it up off the top, and we'll get into the special teams a little bit later, but this was not – a, a perform. This is not a game we should have won, and we did. And I, on one hand, you want to say like, "Are we really as good as we think we are?" Or, um, you know, man, we, are are we just getting kind of lucky with the schedule or or whatever? But the guys over at Solid Verbal, a uh, college football podcast, they have a saying that goes, "Win your clunkers," and that was exactly what MSU did on Saturday night. We played a clunker of a game for most of it, found a way to come out on top. And that speaks volumes to this team and the resiliency and this relentless approach that Mel Tucker brings. Um, but yeah, on offense, it just seemed like it stalled out. But you, know, you made the comment earlier before we start recording, you know, the defense made a lot of plays when we needed them to. The offense didn't really do that for most of the game. We were one for 10 on third down. We were 0 for 1 on fourth down, but got a chance in overtime. Kenneth Walker took a wildcat, you know, basically brought it up to the to the heels of the end zone there. And 
you know, made the one play to win the game, I guess. So I, I, I'm not really sure what to come out of this with the offense. Trey Mosley looked really good. He looked really effective. It looked like we were trying to scheme him ways to get, to get open and get the ball because, you know, we've seen Reed, we've seen Naylor, but Trey Mosley is, is a really good receiver in his own right. He's really good after the catch. And I thought he played a tremendous game. I thought Walker actually looked good. He was breaking tackles. There, there just wasn't much running room. And, and it was a matter of the offensive line not really opening up holes. And as soon as there was a hole open, there was a Nebraska linebacker there to fill the spot quickly. And those holes closed in a matter of a half a second. And it just wasn't really working. Uh, but... <laughs> These numbers are hilarious, dude. We had 12 first downs the whole game. They had 26. I Hats off to, to Mel Tucker and the staff for pulling this one out. But, uh, yeah, Peyton Thorne, probably his worst game as a starter. Like you said, missed a few throws. And I, I, I guess there are worse defenses in the Big Ten. Uh, when you look ahead, Nebraska has a really good defense. We talked about it in the pregame that they held Oklahoma – to their lowest point total in something like six or seven years. So, you know, this, this Nebraska defense is no slouch. And I say that because I, I think a lot of people are going to come out of this game just scarred from years and years of bad Michigan State offenses. I don't really think it's that. I, I think this Nebraska defense might just be that good. And you, you got coming up a game against Western Kentucky where you're going to get some more opportunities to put some points on the board. Um, before we get into this schedule to the middle end of the year where you go at Indiana versus Michigan, you got Ohio State and Penn State to finish it off. So the, the tough part of the schedule is coming. And this is the game, this is the type of game that the coaches, you know, secretly kind of love to have, especially from the offensive side of the ball, because they can go into every single one of those position meetings with things to coach up, things to get better, because the offense only put up, um, what, one touchdown, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's certainly a teaching tape game, and Peyton Thorne, Kenneth Walker, Jaden Reed even to a certain extent on, on offense. Uh, his special teams, he was outstanding, but it didn't really do a whole lot on offense. Uh, Jalen Naylor as well. Him and Peyton Thorne have got to get on the same page, man. I don't know what's going on, but this whole season, there's been tons of missed throws between those two. Yeah, I think, I mean, the skill players were were on and off, hit or miss the whole game. I think really what this game came down to when our offense was on the field was the battle in the trenches, and, and Nebraska won it. We knew it was going to be a strength-on-strength strength game with Nebraska's defense lining up against our offense, and whenever you have that strength-on-strength strength matchup, um, you have to win the battle in the trenches, and, and, they, and Nebraska did. Um, so if it was only a battle between our offense and their defense and somehow you could keep score of that, we would have lost, certainly. Um, and, and I'm a little bit concerned about facing other strong front sevens as we go into the remainder of this season. Our offensive line, both in pass protection and in run blocking, didn't really look up to the task uh, against Nebraska. And I think that was one of the main re reasons our offense never got in stride. I mean, you could see at times every playmaker made a play. Uh, Reed made his plays. Connor Hayward had that incredible uh, catch and run. Peyton Thorne made a few. Kenneth Walker and the other running backs. I mean, every every skill position player on the offense made a few plays, but there was just never a consistency from the offensive line and their protection and their blocking to 
to build on that uh, on those nice plays. And uh, I think that's the reason why it felt like the whole game. You saw glimpses here and there, but really never strung together enough scoring drives to put this game away. Uh, you look at the first half specifically, we had a 10 play drive that we failed to convert on fourth down, didn't get any points out of it, drove it all the way down to Nebraska's 25 yard line. We had a couple that got to the red zone that ended in field goals. I think we had another one that sputtered out as well uh, because of that uh, muffed snap uh, right at the end of the half. I mean, that right there is the potential to add uh, 18 more points in the first half, um, but we just could never, you know, build that consistency. So thankfully, our defense and our special teams showed up. Well, I think we'll talk on special teams last because it'll be a nice optimistic end to it. So the defense, um, I, it had the same feel as Miami at times where it felt like they were getting walked all over and it was really frustrating and Nebraska was walking it down the field five to ten yards of play, especially in that third quarter. Uh, it felt like they were having their way. But every time, you know, you'd come back from a commercial and they'd throw that score up as a reminder, they'd have 13 points or 20 points or seven points. And you're like, I, I don't understand how they're not, you know, what, where, are, where are Nebraska's points with the way that they're playing? Um, and I, Yeah, their two third quarter drives combined for, what, 25 plays over 100 yards and three points. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's something to get used to, uh, certainly, with this coverage scheme, and this is the way that it works. Um, and as long as you can make your tackles in space, I guess this is, it's going to work, and we're just going to be one of those teams where it becomes really, really, really challenging to, uh, to find the end zone once you get into the red zone. And if you can prevent the big plays over the top and force that field to shrink, then I guess you come out with wins like this even when your offense isn't really working. Um, and, and they found not only did they play, you know, to that scheme, but they found chaos plays to impact the game. They had that strip sack in the third quarter that was almost exactly the same play as the uh, Derek King strip sack a week prior, uh, right when we needed it, when it really felt like Nebraska was capturing the momentum again, Jacob Panishuk came through and uh, Jeff Petrovsky got that, uh, recovery right on the sideline there uh, obviously the interception by um he goes by Chaz right which is kind of new on the scene yeah. Chester Kimbrough apparently now he's I'm, it was probably the same before but they finally publicized that he likes to go by Chaz Kimbrough um so make a mental note of that but he obviously had that incredible interception that was incredibly poorly blocked and we couldn't return it for a touchdown that was one. So in the stadium, we were in the end zone that was where we came down. So overtime was going towards us, which was awesome. But when he picked that off and started running from our vantage point, we couldn't really see the convoy of blockers and where they were situated in relation to him. When I rewatched the game and I went back, I'm like, how did he not score on that play? There was five guys leading the way for him and nobody picked up a block. Like they, they, they were just running with him just for, for, for S's and G's, man. Like they, they were just running up beside him. Like, yeah, isn't this a great time? And just nobody went and found a block. And I, will the, say, uh, I think it was the offensive lineman who, who yeah. hustled back there. I was going to so, say, if you rewatch that play, 
what, the guy who ended up making the tackle, I think he was a guard or a center. He's like number 52, something like that. Could be wrong, but if my memory serves me correctly. And when uh, Kimbrough starts down the sideline, you see this guy come into frame and this dude is hustling. One of those plays where you see a big dude who clearly was like athletic or is athletic, but probably was like a smaller athlete. And, uh, you know, high school, around high school time, started putting on some bulk and they, they moved him to the line. But you can tell that dude, uh, he has some athleticism and he, he kept up. But, yeah, all it would have taken is one guy to turn around and realize there was still a guy right there and that would have ended the game. And my uh, MSU minus four and a half bet would have cashed. But <laughs> That's not brutal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the defense, they made their plays. Um, Chuck Brantley still getting tons of time. Yeah. Um, which I love to see. Uh, obviously, Kalen Gervin, the news came out, him and Chase Klein have entered the transfer portal. Um, weird timing. We may talk about that a little more now or uh, on the next episode. But in any event, seeing Chuck Brantley out there getting playing time is a great sign. I think both of us were kind of expecting him to get a little bit of spot um, snaps early in the season and then probably take a redshirt year. But he seems to be coming along quicker than expected um and I thought all all of the top three corners uh between Brantley Kimbrough and Williams had had a better game than they did against Miami um obviously they're still giving up some of that shorter stuff but that's the scheme and and they really they made their tackles this game um and they stuck with them so uh shout out to those guys not quite the same playmakers that we were facing against Miami um but in any event they did their job um and and yeah I mean the defense Xavier Henderson continues to play at an all big 10 level. I think. 17 tackles. Yeah. 17 tackles yeah. in this game. And you and can tackles, see it too. It wasn't one of those. a bit of an overrated stat in the sense of like, okay, you can just rack up a bunch of tackles. And if they're 10 yards past the line of scrimmage, then, you know, what's it really help? But and through four games, he's got 42 tackles, four tackles for loss, two sacks, that interception. He's been outstanding this year so far. Yeah, and you could tell. I mean, it wasn't a sneaky get yourself into the pile, and when the pile clears, you're the guy laying on top. It was – I mean, he was laying the wood all game, coming down into running lanes and, and slamming guys. He had a couple big hits on Adrian Martinez that I'm sure Martinez was thinking about throughout the game. Um, and – uh, Jacob Slade, especially in the second half, had a monster game. Um, he He's going to come up later for me. We have a new segment, and uh, we'll we'll save that one for a little surprise at the end. But he's he's going to come up later. Yeah, so he had a great game. Um, all in all, the defensive line had probably their best game of the year, seven sacks, um, 11 tackles for loss. They really, I mean, they had almost 200 rushing yards, which uh, obviously sounds like a lot, but I thought most of that was uh, probably on broken plays or outside runs. They did not get much up the middle. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean, just an outstanding game from the defense. Um, They did what they needed to. Martinez got loose a couple times, which kind of is expected with his pedigree. Um, that said after the Dear King game uh, a week ago, I, I didn't necessarily expect Martinez to have as much luck as he did on the ground, but, um, but they did, what they, need, they did what they needed to kept us in the game and, uh, and we caught a couple breaks and, and made it happen. So, um, yeah, like he, his, like the, the defensive line, I thought played an outstanding game, I, basically from start to finish. 
the linebackers, there were a few missed plays. I went back and rewatched and just there were a few coverage slip ups. There were a few just kind of you're shooting the wrong gap. Cal Holiday had a couple mistakes, but all in all, like they, they wrapped up pretty well. They made a few plays, especially in some big moments. And so hard to blame them for that. I thought the defensive backs as a whole did really well. And I, I do want to touch just because by the time we record this, we, we probably won't remember to bring it up. I did think the, the transfer news was really surprising. I, between Kalon Gervin and Chase Klein, I'm not really in the business of like telling a kid what he should and shouldn't do. I think that the people out there that kind of criticize, oh, this transfer portal, it's, you know, it's bad for college football or something. I think that's a bit too far on that side of the argument. Uh, but I do think there are a lot of people who are very pro-portal and, hey, do what you want. And I think, you know, there's there's got to be a middle ground here. There's a position, I think, for me where I can support the players and these young kids to to make whatever decisions they want to make and, and to live their life. But while at the same time being a little bit confused by the move. I, I mean, you had that whole first year window where the new coach comes in you had an opportunity to transfer with no penalties to, to go to another school, to play immediately, not lose any eligibility. Uh, you chose not to, you chose to stuck to, to stick around to, to fight in open position battles. I mean, corner and linebacker were two of the spots that we talked about that, that were wide open season comes around. Kalon Gervin was starting, uh, Chase Klein has been playing his kind of normal rotational role. I think a little bit less than he did last year, but still getting his playing time. And the team's 4-0. And, and so this new vision of the head coach that you signed up to play for, or at least that you didn't sign up to leave, is clearly working. And so them deciding to leave, I mean, I, I don't know what else it would be other than playing time. I, I can imagine that maybe there's some stuff going on behind the scenes, but it just seems like two guys who may have lost or failed to grasp uh, a starting job and deciding to, to take their talents elsewhere, which, again, I can fully support while being a little bit um, maybe even frustrated but more just confused uh, at the move. So I, I did want to at least bring that up, but – um, two good players, I, two guys that I think we kept waiting on kind of the full breakthrough, right? Kalon Gervin was somebody we talked up a lot this off season and even early in the season that he's a good player. And I think somebody's going to get a really good player in Kalon Gervin. Chase Klein, still not sure, just never really made that leap, but I, I think he's got all the tools. So wherever they end up, I, I'm sure that, that the schools will be happy to bring them in. Um, I guess it was just a matter of, you know, at corner, you look at Kimbrough, who started playing a, a significant role in playing really, really well. Uh, a freshman in Chuck Brantley getting a, a lot more run than I think people expected. Ronald Williams really recovering from that Northwestern game. Um, and, and the linebacker spots between Halliday and Crouch seem pretty full at, at the moment. So more power to them, you know. Uh, go find somewhere that's going to, to play you. As much as possible, I, I respect that, but uh, it is it is a little bit sad to see them go, and and maybe two positions where we don't have a whole lot of depth. So, kind of looking later on in the season, we're really hoping it, for a lot of reasons that we don't have any injuries, but especially at those two positions now, which are are 
probably two of the thinnest position groups on the roster before those uh, announcements. And, and with losing Gervin and Klein at, at corner and linebacker, positions are just getting a little bit thinner. So hopefully we can stay healthy and stay lucky at those positions. But, man, um, yeah, tough, tough to lose those guys. But uh, it, it, like we said, the, the reason that they're going, it, it seems, is that we have really good players in front of them at both of those spots. So I guess – in a, a twisted sign of confidence and optimism for, for the team. Yeah, it was, uh, it is interesting and it is concerning. I feel a little bit better about linebacker, but you look at the corners. I mean, we've really only got three corners now that have any playing time. Um, and one of those guys goes down. I mean, you look at the two deep, even without one of those guys going down, you don't even have a full two deep right now at corner at linebacker. I mean, Van summeren has been getting some run, um looks and, capable at least yeah but I mean beyond him I mean there's you know Klein was that number four number three number four guy so yeah I mean you don't expect to see two deeps who are getting a decent amount of reps um leaving the team but the transfer the transfer portal has changed the game for better or for worse and uh and they're going to take advantage of that so again as always when guys decide to make a decision for themselves, more power to them. We'll still be rooting for them wherever they go. um, And uh, and they'll be getting some good players. But um, now the most exciting group from this past Saturday, I thought the special teams, um, there was, I think one special teams error that I can think of, which was the bad snap that led to the blocked field goal outside of that it was dominant. And you don't talk about special teams being dominant very often. But I'll start it with Bryce Berenger. Uh, six punts, I believe. Um, 353 punt yards. I think an average of just under 60 yards a punt. A um, couple of them inside the 20, a couple touchbacks. That dude flipped the field on multiple occasions. You talk about the fact that it felt like Nebraska was going down the field. They would win the field position. Even when they had to punt, it felt like our backs were against the wall our offense wouldn't go anywhere or would go backwards and we'd have to punt again, but Nebraska would be right back at the beginning, the beginning at their side of the field um, because he would flip it every time. Um, We'll talk about other specialists, but Kevin, I mean, you're a big leg guy Uh, between Behringer and Matt Coughlin. (laughs) What'd you think on Saturday? Yeah, I'll, I'll read. I mean, my, my Twitter bio, as it has been since it started, the final sentence, special teams matters, baby. This is, this is right on brand. Uh, you've got Bryce Berenger, six punts for a 58.8-yard average. That's insane. That is insane. And he's doing it with the rec specs, which you just have to love uh, objectively. Um, he had an incredible game. Uh, but I, he might have been, you know, we'll, we'll talk about uh, uh, a segment again to tease it coming up later um, where we're giving out a game ball. I thought about it for Bryce Berenger. I really did. And so if he keeps putting together performances like this, a Big Ten Punter of the Year award is, is certainly on the table for him in a school with a rich, rich history of special teams. Uh, Bryce Berenger's making a name for himself. And Matt Coughlin, I mean, the only, miss, uh, the only miss he had was a field goal that really wasn't on him. It was a bad snap that went behind the holder, and he had to try to adjust and, and still get a leg on it. 
Um, just didn't have the time, got it blocked, but two for two on extra points, three for four on the field goals, including the game winner, which was a chip shot. But at the end of the day, it's easy to kind of dismiss how much pressure is on the kicker in those moments. You have ages and ages to just sit and think about one motion, right? Anybody, the, the easiest comparison I always have to kicking is golf, man, because not too many people have kicked a field goal. I get that. Um, a lot of us listening out there have played a lot of golf and imagine, you know, you're lining up a three foot putt and it's, it's going to be for a par to, to break 80 in the round or whatever it might be. But here's the twist. There's 80,000 people surrounding you and watching you for that three foot putt. It should be a gimme. We all know it should be a gimme. It's three foot putt, but you got all those eyeballs on you. You start thinking about it. You're, you're all alone. It's just you. And you have all the time in the world to think about what happens if you miss. And, and that's the kind of pressure that these kids are under. And, and so it's easy to dismiss that, but I hope we don't because that, that was an excellent just, you know, way to keep your composure and, and, and just finish the job at the end of the day. So Coughlin, Behringer, and then obviously Jaden Reed in the return game. Outstanding. I, there was the punt return touchdown, but there was also a couple huge kick returns. He was outstanding in that aspect of the game. That punt return, man, I've, I've watched it 100 times today, and I can't stop laughing at the five Nebraska dudes just all running the wrong way and realizing it after it's already way too late. Um, you know, we talked about Scott Frost throwing his punter under the bus for that one. I don't think he should have done it publicly. I don't even think he should have done it really in front of the team. I think that's like a one-on-one kind of private conversation, but there's no way that punt was supposed to go anywhere other than to the right. <laughs> that was one where the special teams coach goes out before he gets onto the field and he's like, Hey, 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 uh, was it Connor? Uh, or no, uh, William, uh, whatever you do, don't punt it left. Like, all right, coach, I got it. Punts it left, walks it into the end zone. And one of the most improbable comebacks, uh, as far as a whole second half where I, man, I saw the stat earlier from Colton Pouncey on Twitter. We had something like 14 yards of offense in the second half and still came back to win a game that, that, that doesn't happen. And so, uh, yeah, hats off to special teams who kept this game, kept us alive throughout the course of the game and Behringer and Coughlin, you know, just, just hitting their kicks. Uh, Jaden Reed, Finishing the the game, if you will, it it was just like you said off the top. I mean, the best special teams performance I may have ever seen, and that goes with a botched field goal that got blocked. It was outstanding. Yeah, and, and before we move on from special teams to the coverage teams, I mean, we had six punts. They had one punt return for negative one yards. We had, I guess, I think four kickoffs. They had one kick return for 13 yards. And that was after we got a personal yep. foul. So we were yep. already backed up and they only brought it out to like our 16 yard line. I mean, they fumbled the, the catch. They muffed the catch. So that helped obviously, but the coverage team still went down there and made a tackle. I think is the first guy who made it down there, made the play. So uh, those guys, phenomenal Matt Coughlin, apparently 
put on, you know, he hit the weight room this off season, or at least put a few extra McDoubles into that right leg because he's kicking extra points with, or not extra points, touchbacks with regularity now. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, honestly, special teams won us this game. Uh, I think it's only fitting uh, on the day that, that we were remembering Mike Sadler and Sam Fultz, that the specialists made such a big impact in the game. Unfortunately for Nebraska, maybe not the best tribute to Sam Fultz, but, um, but on our side, Mike Sadler certainly got a fitting tribute and uh, an interception. Uh, shout out to Mylon Hicks. Obviously, we were, we were remembering him as well and a big uh, secondary play to, to change the course of that game as well. Um, so definitely want to shout those guys out as it was a big night to, to remember them, all three of them. Um, but, yeah, special teams, it does matter, Kevin. Um, are we ready for our last couple segments here? Play the I game. I think we're ready. Ball? Yeah, we're we're gonna roll this thing out. Um, it's something we talked about in the off season, and then just totally slipped our mind through the first couple weeks. So we're gonna bring it out here in week four, but uh, we'll we'll make it a recurring segment throughout the the course of the season. There's two simple things. I, I think we're not reinventing the wheel here by by saying this by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it's a good way to kind of recap the game. We got a play of the game. And we got a game ball to give out. So each of us will give our play of the game. Each of us will give our game ball. Um, this can be anybody. It could be a punter. If you think the punter was the player of the game, it could be the quarterback. It could be whoever. Um, I think the play of the game is pretty obvious in this one. But Scott, if you want to go ahead and share yours. So I had, a, I had a, an A and a B. Um, I'm sure our first choice is the same. Um, I'll go with, I'll take the honors here with the Jaden Reed, uh, punt return touchdown. Um, we don't win this game without that play. Our offense was dead in the water in the second half. They were literally our last drive in the fourth quarter. We, we went backwards like 12 yards. Um, and somebody tweeted it. I wish I remembered. I'd give them credit, but they said the only way Michigan state at that point was going to win this game is if they got a big play on special teams. And that's exactly what we got at the exact right time. It was half a gift from Nebraska, half a phenomenal play call from our special teams coordinator. We did have two return men back. Uh, that doesn't happen without putting two guys back. They would have read the return man and gone wherever he went. So it was a bit of a, a bit of luck, um, a bit of trickery, a bit of, of timing and reading kind of the feel of the game. And obviously athletes got to make plays and that's exactly what happened. So my play of the game, Jaden Reed's punt return touchdown. Yeah. The, the way that I was kind of sparsing this out, because I, I think your second one is probably the, the Kimbrough interception in overtime. And, you know, that one crossed my mind as well, but, the way that I settled it in my head was pretty easy where I had one of my good buddies that I was with on, on Sunday and he didn't watch the game. He was busy during the night. So he was going to rewatch it or, or watch the highlights or something. And the first thing I said to him about the game was, yeah, we had a punt return touchdown with four minutes left to tie it up. And that pretty much sums it up. I was like, okay, everything else that happened was very secondary to that play. I will shout out the Kimbrough interception in overtime. I would love to see, like, I, I, maybe somebody has done it. But with the college overtime rules, I would love to know if a team gets a turnover in overtime, what is, like, the percentage chance of them winning? Because you basically start in field goal range. 
So if, if you get a turnover, you're, you're almost guaranteed three points in overtime if you don't mess it up. So I would love to see those numbers. But yeah, Kimbrough getting the interception in overtime basically sealed it. It was at a position where, okay, you could just line up and, and kick it on first down and it would be like a 42 yarder right down the middle. I mean, that should be money for an experienced college kicker like Coughlin. So I thought about that. I, I'll give it its due, but uh, it's, it's obviously the read punt return touchdown and the game ball, Scott, who is, who is awarded your inaugural standing room Spartans game ball. So this one's a little tougher. Um, Jaden Reed obviously had both of our touchdowns. Um, so he's a name that was high on my list. Um, there were a few defenders who had phenomenal games. Jacob Panashuk had an enormous game. We didn't mention that Drew Beasley went down with the injury. I'm really hoping he comes back soon. He was in a boot, which is never a good sign. But Panashuk made up for it, had maybe the best game he's had in the last two or three seasons. Um, but for me, maybe it's the Mike Sadler effect. Maybe it's the fact that we struggled with punters for a couple of years. I am going with Bryce Berenger. I thought he had a phenomenal game. I thought he, he really erased um, the field position problems that we were facing because of our offense's inability to move the ball. Um, and, and he just consistently set our defense up to play the exact brand of football we want to play, where every 10 yards you can get, you can set your defense up with is is a lot that the other team is going to have to fight for um, because we make them earn every yard as they move their way down the field and I thought he did exactly that and put our team in a position to to keep the score low and just bide some time and, and wait for that chaos to ensue as it typically does if you give it enough time in college football so uh, Bryce Berenger in honor of Mike Sadler gets my game ball. If, if there's anybody listening who has ever questioned this podcast's love for Big Ten football, I want to timestamp this episode where our game balls are given to, number one, a punter, and number two, a defensive tackle, because Jacob Slade played the game of his life on Saturday night. He was all over the field. He was... When you see eight tackles from a defensive tackle, five solo tackles from a defensive tackle, that's an unbelievable game. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, okay, a lot of times guys can kind of rack up tackles 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and and it doesn't really make a huge positive impact for your team. When a defensive tackle is doing it, it means that it was within one, two, three yards of the line of scrimmage one way or the other. And Slade was just constantly getting penetration, constantly in in Martinez's face, constantly in the backfield, two tackles for loss, a sack. He played one of the best games I've ever seen uh, from a defensive tackle at Michigan State. And that's going back to some incredible Malik McDowell performances when he really turned it on. Uh, Jarrell Worthy, Slade played a phenomenal football game and and when I was re-watching this every time somebody made a play along the defensive line it felt like 64 either had something to do with it or or was the root cause of it so wanted to make sure I got a, a, a full shout out for him and yeah our, our inaugural standing room Spartans game balls go to a punter and a defensive tackle I, I absolutely 
Love it. Um, anything else before we get out of here? No, we got Western Kentucky on the clock, who is uh, looking like a tougher scheduling matchup than than we probably expected it to be when we inked that deal. Uh, we'll Seven thirty p.m. Yeah, back to back home night games was odd. Um, I probably I was more to do with confident. The- even even through today, I was actually trying to make plans for the game. I was thinking either going somewhere or having some people over. And I, the whole time I was in my plans, I was like, well, it's going to be a noon game, so we got to adjust for that. And I was talking to a buddy. He's like, no, 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 it's a night game. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it just totally – it does not have night game feel. Michigan State at home versus Western Kentucky. That should never be a night game. But, yeah, here we are, a couple, a couple of night games in a row. So if you're in the crowd that loves that primetime night game, um, you're probably pretty thrilled, and if you like to get them out of the way early, well, uh, you're you're out of luck here. You're going to have to stay up late again. So, uh, yeah, night game next week, Western Kentucky coming to town with a, a pretty high-powered offense. Yeah, the passing game, we'll get into that. They they took Indiana down to the wire this past weekend, and we have a great slate uh, across the country this weekend, a lot of really good matchups that I'm really excited to uh, to check out. Obviously, we'll have our picks on Friday. Um, and we'll get you guys involved as we always do. The fans had a great, well, the fans had a better week. Um, <laughs> the fans are in first place on picks now, which I, I love to see. I, I don't want to talk the about the week that we had. So Kevin went over four. That's all I'll say. Let's just get out of here. We're ending the podcast. All right. Uh, follow us on Twitter, <laughs> Standing Room Spartans. Uh, Scott, I don't remember mine. Spartan Martin 18. There you uh, go. Review, rate, subscribe, do all those good things uh, wherever you find your podcast that helps us out. If you give us a shout-out in a review, we'll give you a shout-out on the pod. Um, yeah, we'll keep it rolling, 4-0. And again, if you're new, my audio is usually better than this. Traveling, just using the Apple headphones. I, I think they're getting the job done. I've listened back to all the episodes. I think it's it's at least manageable here, so hopefully you guys can bear with me for another two episodes here until I get back on, on my home turf. So uh, yeah, have a great, uh, if you're catching this on Monday, then you are a diehard fan and I love you for it. But if you're probably catching this on Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. And as we gear up for another Spartan football game, looking to head to five and oh, in year two of Mel Tucker. Love it. Uh, Go green. Go, Go white. Take care, folks.